0: All right, let's do this thing.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the National Championship Game Preview on the Take the Points podcast. We have no time for pleasantries. I'm Tom. I'm here with Dan and Ryan from Phoenix, Arizona. Dan and Ryan and I have been huge on the University of Washington all season long. All of us picked them in the playoff. I think Ryan picked them to win it all. Dan and I wanted them to win it all. Uh, there were times in the season where we weren't sure it would actually happen, but, um, you know, in our heart, we've always wanted them. We all picked them last week and it actually happened. And not only did that happen, but we got probably the best first round of the playoffs that it's, uh, ever since the 10 year existence of the playoff, no blowouts, both games came right down to basically the last play and just, uh, just exceptional. So, we're going to preview the national championship game in uh, extended form. I've got a ton to say. I know you guys have a ton to say, but let's just take a moment to reflect on the first round of the playoffs. Dan, why don't you start? What did you take away? Um, what were the highlights for you besides just in general awesome games?
2: Thanks, Tom. Yeah, it was great first game, uh, Rose Bowl, and I'll you know I'll talk about this later. Two teams with uh, issues offensively, I think. Um, and Harbaugh, Saban, hard hitting, California, beautiful scenery. Um, game came down to a couple, you know, turnovers and um, awful plays by a particular offensive lineman on Alabama, and uh, you know, a good fourth and two call by Michigan. But a really close game. I think if you play that game ten times, I think it's a coin flip, and each team wins uh, five times. Um, and then in the Sugar Bowl, awesome job by Washington starting fast. Um, really awesome job by them getting a stop on against Texas on the first drive of the game, which was super big. And they went down and scored a touchdown to go up seven-nothing, and that kind of set the tone. It's been the same thing uh for Washington in a lot of uh huge games this year, is um starting fast. They scored Early in the Pac-12 title game on Oregon, they scored early at home against Oregon. They even scored on the first drive at Oregon State in the downpour um, before the weather got really bad. So, really important job there. Um, I lost my mind at the end when uh, Dylan Johnson got hurt and the clock stopped. I I knew it was a bigger deal than it was. Like, and the the fucking announcers were really casual about it. They're like, "Oh, it's gonna cost them a little bit of time." I'm like, "It's college football." This changes the entire game. So, um, that's a rule that they need to change in the offseason for sure. Um, but, uh, Washington finds a way to make a play on defense whenever they have to. Like going back to the USC game, um, against, uh, well, USC, um, they got a sack on Caleb Williams when they needed it. Um, they got stops on fourth down against Oregon when they needed it. Um, they got to stop against uh, Oregon State on the road on fourth and five when they needed it. There's something to be said about that, and like, like I said, we'll, I'll talk about that. But um, both games were awesome. I was exhausted when it was over. I was a robot at work the next day. Um, and, Dude, uh, you're in Arizona.
1: Wait. Cry me a river. I went, eh, to, it I went to bed at two a.m. East Coast time.
2: I still went to bed at two on the West Coast. Don't worry about it. <laughs> It was really great though. So I'm really glad this game is a quick turnaround and we don't have to wait a month again. Like it's Thursday night and I'm like, Oh good. This game's on Monday already. Good. You know, it seems like it's faster than it is. So, uh, can't wait to get work done with tomorrow and, uh, get to the weekend and get, you know, this holiday week completely over with and strap it in Monday night. Can't wait.
1: Ryan.
0: Um, I'd say my biggest takeaway from the, the playoff first round is coaching matters like a lot. And I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I, I, I feel like as the coaching guy on this podcast, I have to act, I have to own up to it and I have to say it. Harbaugh outcoached Sabin. Plain and simple. He outcoached him. He was ahead of them. He was just one step ahead of him on adjustments. You know, they came out of Alabama just thought we're going to run up the middle. We're going to drop back and pass. That didn't work. And they made their adjustments. But Michigan knew what adjustments were coming. They knew that they were going to start running to the outside, doing more wide zone scheme stuff. And they started running, you know, these like slants on the defensive line to go in between the blockers, you know, like. It, they just knew what to do, and they they outcoached them. You know, their special teams almost cost them a chance at the title because college special teams is the great equalizer. It's the biggest crapshoot in all of sports is college football special teams. But uh, you know that happened, and then in the second game, I think it's it's more the same. I think you know DeBoer just in Grubs, especially, just flat out out coached them. You know, like they got unlucky with a few things here and there, but they out coached them. And Sark, you know, had some opportunities there at the end to call three plays from the twelve yard line, and it was their four plays from the twelve yard line, and it just it wasn't good. Like you know, he got out coached, so. It matters a ton in college football. I know the players matter, you know, and all that, but more than, more than in any other sport coaching matters so, so much in college football. And it was, you know, the two coaches who did the best, who had the best game plan and made the best adjustments, both won. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes in the next round.
1: So I'm glad you mentioned that because that was also my main takeaway, certainly from the first game and probably from both games, Michigan absolutely outcoached Alabama and it wasn't just Harbaugh Saban. It was the whole staff's mentor and, uh, Sharon Moore. I thought outcoached Alabama's two coordinators and, um, Washington basically called, I wouldn't call it a perfect game. There were a few flaws, but like a really, you know, a plus game and really some bad breaks at the end there. Otherwise they would have kind of won it decisively. So, I'll save. I have more to talk about, tons more when we get into it. Dan's got one more thing. Dan, tell us what you're thinking, and then you can um, launch us into the national championship game.
2: Sure, thanks. Just real quick, I think um, each game could have went either way, and um, you know I've watched um, each game again on YouTube. I watched the Rose Bowl and uh, the Sugar Bowl again, and especially that last play by Texas. Donnie Mitchell's open. Like he's wide open for a touchdown. Uh, Washington missed the coverage on that play, and Quinn just threw the worst possible ball. If he throws a low rocket, it's a it's an easy touchdown, like uncoverable touchdown. He had so much separation. The the corner of Washington, who Washington fans have been ripping all year, they went after him and they threw a lob and they allowed him to get over and knock it away. And he made a great play on the ball given the pass, but um, I'm sure Quinn will be thinking about that pass for a long time. It's still a Sark, but yeah, you're right. The whole last four plays by Sark was, were weird. The, the, the offensive play calling by Alabama could not have been worse. I mean, once they figured out that they just blast Milrow and all the running backs, Michigan couldn't stop it. It was too late. And then once they figured that out, then they had how many bad snaps? 30, I think was the number. That's not an exaggeration. Um, I think it was 31 snaps were too low or muffed, which is it, un, like, that's unheard of. That's like something that happens in high school football. So, um,
1: yeah, I mean the center, yeah. the center entered the portal. That's one of those ones where I joke, mm-hmm. they didn't enter it so much as they were thrown into it by their coaches.
2: And as a, uh, a little teaser for one of my, my preview points is sometimes, one of the more underlooked positions in football is the center position. And I think that comes into play in this game coming up. And we'll talk about that shortly. So let's go to the game itself. Number one should be number two. But number one, Michigan uh, takes on number two, Washington. Uh, Michigan minus four and a half. Total 56 and a half. Um, Michigan... Obviously, uh, well, first of all, each of these two teams are undefeated. Michigan ran the table in the Big Ten. They beat Ohio State, and Penn State is their two signature wins. Iowa is not a signature win, no. and they beat Alabama. Washington ran the table in the Pac-12, uh, beating USC, Arizona, Oregon twice, Utah, Oregon State, and Texas. Very impressive. Um This is a clash of styles. This is Michigan who wants to run the ball, control the clock, play hard-nosed defense. And you got Washington who wants to play uh, basketball on grass or turf and spread you out and go vertical. Um, It's really great. It's a total mismatch of styles. And sometimes, if you look back in college football history, one style prevails over the other. Uh, We've seen you know, like a high-flying team like Oklahoma gets smacked in the national title game. We've seen Oklahoma win the national title too um, as a high-flying team over a more defensive squad. Um, So a lot of different angles in this game, a lot of uh, interesting matchups. I can't wait for this game. Very excited. Um, I have a list of reasons why Washington is going to win this game I would like to go last so Tom Z why don't you start this one
1: I've thought about the order of how we should go and um, it would be no fun you know we all love Washington they're our tinder team it would be no fun if we all just bragged about how great Washington is which is why I'm going to make myself the villain and go first so that we can end on a triumphant note we have to backtrack. I, I have a ton to say about both teams. So, you know, bear with me and uh, you guys, I'm sure, and hopefully we'll have an equal amount to say, this is going to be an hour long episode, just talking about one game. I'm pretty sure. Um, Good. I, I want to go back and expand on the first round of the playoffs. Cause that leads us into this. And I'm, you know, what I'm going to talk about is directly relevant to my pick and why I'm making the pick that I'm making. Uh, First, it should be noted that um, Washington is my favorite team this year. Michigan is my least favorite team this year. So let's set that context. My most loved and most hated team of 2023. So uh, I I think that gives some context to what I'm about to say, that I don't want to do this, Dan. Um, first, First round, Washington played an awesome game. Like I said, called, executed, an A plus game. Penix made some throws that were just unbelievable, like right in the bread basket. He played as well as I've ever seen any QB play. Maybe Joe Burrow um, in the playoff, um, but he's he's elite in that game. And Kalen and Grubb called an awesome, awesome game. The defense did well, um, and you know they played at an A plus level. And Texas made a ton of mistakes. Ryan, you mentioned Sark getting outcoached. I thought Texas um, was a little all over the place and threw the ball too much, and they had an advantage in the run game that they didn't exploit to the fullest level. Ryan is nodding. I think we all picked up on that. Um, There was yardage to be had that they left on the table by not just pounding the ball repeatedly. We talk about coaches who just can't help themselves. They can't help themselves. They've had an advantage. They could run the same play, same runs, similar plays, and just keep getting six yards at a clip, but they can't do it. They want to be fancy. They want to throw. They want to run double posts and all that stuff. And that's what killed Sark in that game. Even though Texas played really well, their defensive line, I thought really um, did a nice job with those big guys in the center um, you know, their cornerbacks, one of them was out for the first half. I th- I thought they played well. A lot of those catches, they had good coverage and Penix just placed it perfectly. And there were a couple where I was like, did he catch that? Like how the hell did he even catch that? And um so I didn't even think the Texas D played bad. But, you know, the big disadvantage was Sark not sticking to the run and having to trying to get too creative. Then Let's flip to the other game. Oh, let me, let me just also say that, you know, Washington played really well, had it in control. And then of course at the end, not entirely their fault, but they kind of let Texas get back into that to the point where I legitimately thought Texas was going to win the game. So they, they didn't hold on at the end. Then you go to the first game, Michigan and Alabama both played really sloppy and made a ton of mistakes. Alabama. I mean, obviously the center had a bunch of horrible snaps a bunch of those horrible snaps in key places. Michigan also played really sloppy. I think they had two fumbles on punts, right? The missed extra point, the missed field goal. I mean, the special teams was awful. There were um, other calls. It mostly was that special teams. Um, But they let, you know, Milrow scramble early and they let Alabama get some plays that they probably could have avoided. Uh, But overall, Uh, Harbaugh and Sharon Moore and Minter vastly outcoached the Alabama staff. And we're talking about a a Jim Harbaugh who against Penn state, JJ McCarthy got injured and wasn't himself. So what did they do? They ran it every single play in the second half. And they had that kind of commitment that I was talking about that Sark didn't have run, run, run. It's working. There's no need to pass. And he stuck to it. And then in the last game, we thought um, Alabama was going to beat Michigan. And our reasoning on the last podcast was that Harbaugh couldn't deviate from that run first physical thing that he wanted as his identity. And I'm, you know, I'm mad enough to admit I was wrong. I thought he did a great job of rolling out McCarthy, running some plays, passing a lot more than I expected using Roman Wilson in ways that they haven't used him that much this season. I just, I was really impressed. And again, I am not, a, I'm a Michigan hater, not, not just not a fan. Like I don't like Michigan. So, um, you know, I, I have no option, but to give kudos to a job really well done. Harbaugh, he can stick to the plan when it's working. He can adapt when he needs to. He's been a good coach. I think we have the, 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 Coaches who did the two best jobs all season are now meeting in the championship game. And so when you have two great coaches meeting in this championship game, then you can't really fall back on that. Like, well, Kalen's gonna outcoach Harbaugh, or Har- Harbaugh's gonna outcoach him. Dan might disagree, but I think I think it's a pretty even matchup with the coaching. And so I'm thinking like, if everything's even, where are the weaknesses? or strengths Washington's offense is great, but Michigan's defense is also great. So Washington Penix will have his great throws. Will he play an a plus game like last time? I mean, for them to win, he's got to be basically perfect. You know, a plus 400 yards, four TDs, zero interceptions. Um, he's playing, you know, maybe the best cornerback in the game and will Johnson, you know, he'll be a first round draft pick most likely. So Michigan's got a good secondary Michigan's pass rush is much better than Texas's Texas is designed with those two big guys in the middle to block the run. Whereas Michigan has more of a blitzing scheme reminds me a little bit. Dan's going to hate this, but it reminds me a little bit of the old Steelers um, blitzing scheme. Dan's very mad at me now um, where they bring guys from different positions the D line is not as stout as Texas, but they will bring the help as needed and disguise blitzes and things like that. So I think they'll I think they'll do an okay job stopping the run, especially if Dylan Johnson's not 100 percent which like they say he's ready to go, but we saw what we saw him go off the field. Like I can't imagine he's not a little shaken up for this game. And they're they're gonna get to Penix more than Texas did. Texas didn't get to Penix at all and that's a credit to Washington's awesome offensive line. But even the best offensive line in the country, which Washington has, can't stop this Michigan defense on every single down. So Michigan's going to get their plays on defense, Washington's going to get their plays on offense. Washington's probably going to score, you know, in the, you know, 30 to 35 point range. But Texas could have beaten Washington and they could have exploited them more with that run. And this is Michigan's strength and Harbaugh, unlike the last game where he's got to get McCarthy rolling out and do all these creative things. He can just run, 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 run and pound it with his two backs. Blake Corum looked excellent in the last game, especially at the end. Donovan Edwards, we know is great. I think he can exploit Washington's um, somewhat mediocre run defense. And I think they can control the time of possession, They can control the tempo of the game, which I think I'll say more about that in a second. Um, and they can, you know, score a a few more points in Washington. I think Michigan wins this game 34 to 30 based on controlling tempo and running the ball and stopping Penix just enough, not a ton. I mean, I think Penix gets like, you know, 290 yards and, uh, three TDs, maybe like one interception or fumble. And that is an awesome game most of the time, but not quite as good as, as it was against Texas and not quite good enough to beat um, a very very physical Michigan team. And uh, I hate picking that. What I'll say about in favor of Washington, I'm not gonna say as much about Washington because I know I know you guys will and so um, know that I love Washington. And, uh, I'll be rooting for them and I hope they succeed more than I'm picking them to. But as Dan mentioned, tempo and, um, like who wins the battle of styles will be the thing that determines this game. So, you know, even though I'm picking Michigan, I kind of see this as a toss up. This is the hardest in our 10 years we've been doing this. I think this is the hardest championship game I've ever had to pick. I've been wrong on a couple, I've been right on a bunch, but like I've never had this much trouble picking one because whoever establishes their style will win the game. If Michigan can do the ball control run, you know, uh, 1990 Giants versus Bills type game, they're going to win. If Washington comes out, like you said, scores 14 points on the first two drives and makes Michigan play from behind and keeps that kind of heat on them, then Washington has a great chance of winning this game as well. I'm not trying to dismiss Washington. And again, you guys will talk more about that. But when I look at the only real disparity I see in this game is I think there's an advantage for Michigan to run, run and run a lot and just pick up, you know, four, five, six, seven yards a clip and just keep doing that and have a bunch of like eight or 10 or 12 play drives Punch in touchdowns and field goals, be efficient in the red zone, disguise some blitzes, and stop Penix just enough. And uh, I really, really hate this, but that's my pick, guys. I'm sorry. I will uh, go to church this week and apologize for my sins. But um, the one other thing I'll, I'll add, and I'll keep this short, but like this is more of a philosophical thing and not the X's and O's. Um, we all love an underdog. And, uh, we all love like an America's sweetheart team like Washington and we all hate the like big, bad blue blood, you know, asshole team like Michigan, but in real life, the assholes usually win like the underdogs don't usually win. And, uh, I'm going to bet with my head and not my heart. Unfortunately, assholes win again in 2024, Michigan Wolverines, your national champions.
2: Z, I forgive you, and uh, after Ryan and I talk, um, you might change your pick, which is okay. Or
1: Please try to change my mind, because I had such a hard time with this, and I I wanted to pick Washington, and I just couldn't
2: do it. I have a million reasons, but before we get there, Ryan, I need your expert input, because you did pick Washington to win the national title, and I need to hear it one more time.
0: Okay, well, I'll save you the the suspense and I'm going to go ahead and just tell you Washington 31 20. And I wrestled with that score. I wrestled with that score. I wanted to to go a little bit more extreme, but I thought that was a good compromise uh, from the 34 16 that I originally really, really wanted to go with. But then I remembered that it can't be 16 because Michigan won't make three field goals. Their kicker is awful so i had to make an adjustment on that so tom you made some good points you mentioned that you know washington hasn't faced a a running offense like michigan's now here's the thing here are some teams this season who had better running off rushing offenses than michigan statistically boise state washington beat them ucla washington beat them Texas, Washington beat them. Oregon, Washington beat them twice. Utah, Washington beat them. All those teams have better rushing offenses than Michigan this year, and Washington beat all of them. So I'm not really concerned about the vaunted Big Ten offense because there's no such thing. They have faced teams as physical as Michigan. They have. Utah is as physical as Michigan. They're as physical as any team in the country. And they they beat them, right? So I think that is less of an advantage as as people think. Now, the other side of the coin is, what's the best offense Michigan's faced this year? Maryland? Is Talia Is Tylia Taigaloya, Tagavaloya, whatever his fucking name is. If he's the best quarterback they faced all season, what the hell are they gonna do when they see Penix? They've they've never seen this. Like this is like he's better than Stroud for sure.
1: The com- I'm sorry to interrupt, but the 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 most comparable would be last year's Michigan win over Stroud and that loaded receiver group. That's the one that I, I think of.
2: The best quarterback who Michigan's played this year, if you want to be technical, would be Max Duggan of TCU. They dropped 51. Go ahead, Ryan.
0: Um, yeah, that's true. They did. The last time they played an offense like this, was TCU last year in the playoff. You're right, Dan. That's a good point. That is the last time Michigan's faced an offense that was this explosive, and they only had one first-round receiver, and he's actually kind of a bust in the NFL, Quentin Johnson. Max Duggan was cut by the Chargers, who decided Easton stick was a, a better bet than him. So... I just don't think Michigan has any way to simulate what Washington's going to do, right? And like that's a huge part of the coaching thing and the coaching advantage is that Washington can simulate what Michigan does. They can simulate power football up the middle. They have an SEC running back. They they know what to do. Michigan has no way to simulate this. They don't have a quarterback on their roster who can do what Penix can do. Like they, there's no way they can they can figure out a, like a scout team that can do anything remotely close to what Penix does, and I think what's going to happen is they're going to bring in some third string quarterback on the scout team to do Penix shit. The Michigan defense is going to pick him off a bunch because he's not Penix, and they're going to get super confident and be like, "This this is the offense. We're fine. We can stop this," and they're going to get run up. So that's my big analysis for this game is, is the scout team. I think that stuff matters when you have a week to prepare and I just don't see any way that Michigan can simulate Washington's offense and, and come in and actually see it at that speed and and adapt on the fly. It's going to take some time. So I think Washington jumps out to an early lead. I think Michigan will make a bit of a comeback. Um, but I don't think it's gonna be enough and I think Washington takes this one like I said 3120 and I feel like no 3117 They're not gonna make two field goals either. their kicker sucks. 3117 Washington. Dan bring us home.
2: All right, you guys both made some really good points. I'm going to expand on some of your points. Um, okay, so before. We go through my list of reasons why Washington is going to win this game. Final score, Washington 34, Michigan 30. Um, No, sorry, Michigan uh, 28, 34-28. Okay, here we go. Um, Some of this is in order. My last point for sure is my last point. But, um, okay, Um, Michigan beat... Penn State, Ohio State, and Alabama this year. Penn State, Tom, cover your ears. Fucking sucks. I, I know. Okay, good. Um, they're, they're terrible. Uh, Ohio State was so bad, their quarterback had to transfer to Syracuse. And this is the worst Alabama team in 10 years, uh, who lost at home to Texas by double digits, Who who uh, who blew up Alabama's offensive line. Washington gave up no sacks against Texas and beat them by double digits in Tuscaloosa. Washington handled them with ease. So Ohio State, no good wins on the year. Um, Point two, Alabama probably should have won last game if their center could actually snap the ball, but he didn't. Okay, let's move on. Point three, Pac-12 is the best conference. Um, We talked about it all year, top to bottom. This Washington team is tested. All right. point four. uh, Michael Penix was hurt this whole second half of this year. Uh, He had the flu or cracked ribs or something, and he had a month off to heal and get right, and you saw his best performance last week against Texas. And since he didn't get touched against Texas, he'll be healthy again. Washington was able to beat Texas in the semifinal, where the national title game was in Houston. Like, That storyline was meant to be, and they still won. So don't let the media fool you into thinking they can't win this game. Next point, McCarthy can't be trusted. Two interceptions last year against TCU and a fumble, including a a pick on the first drive of the game. Tom, you said if if Michigan was smart, they'd run the ball. And you're totally right. Texas should have ran the ball 75% of the time. Quinn should have thrown 15 passes in that game. But they just can't help themselves. And and the same thing is going to happen in Michigan. They're going to say, McCarthy's the best Michigan quarterback since yada, yada, yada. Um, And they, they won't be able to help themselves. McCarthy should have thrown an interception on the first play of the game against Alabama, too. The guy from Alabama's foot hit the line. So that's two playoff games in a row. The first play of the game, he should have thrown an interception. Don't forget that. Jabbar Muhammad will not fuck that up and will pick this ball off. Next point, Michigan's stud right guard interior lineman, Zach Center, out for the year. And that's going to hurt when you have big Thule in there in the middle. And he'll be able to blow up some plays in the backfield. That's a huge loss. Uh, look for Thule to definitely make some plays. Okay. Now we got some fun reasons and, and some uh, some outside the box thinking when it comes to this, which you know is my favorite part of trying to bet sports. Okay. Michigan just lost to Alabama. It's just a matter of time before Saban steps down. and They're going to need to find a new coach. And who's better to pick than the guy who's going to beat Harbaugh on Monday night and Kalen DeBoer? We've been calling Kalen to Alabama for about a year and a half now. It will be official come Monday. I like that. Okay. Next point. The Connor Stallions in the Scandal. We said, no way the is going to let Michigan win the title, but everyone's kind of put on the back burner now. What would be more painful? Them losing to Ohio State and not making the playoff? Them making it to Iowa, losing, not making the playoff? Making the playoff, beating out, losing to Alabama? Or this exact scenario, where they make it all the way to the national title game as a favorite and then lose? That would be the most painful, and that's what's coming on Monday. Two more, three more key points here. Number, whatever, in three, two, one, the third. This is the Pac 12s last year. Pac 12 is going to go out with a bang. It was the best conference in America. Makes sense that the title comes from the Pac 12. Be a fitting way to end this year and kind of give the middle finger to the realignment in the new uh, age of college football. Number two reason Ryan is due. Ryan is is due to call a big home run pick. He has went on out of limb many times over the years on take the points, and he's due to nail one. Sometimes you're just due in life, and he's due. Okay, and the number to reiterate:
1: Ryan picked Washington to win it all in our preseason pick before Week One.
2: And the number one reason why Washington is going to beat Michigan is because sometimes in life you're just a number two. And sometimes in life, you're better as an assistant director than a director.
0: <laughs>
2: yes, this, <laughs> God, is this, is this is the AD going. This is the A D skinner of why Michigan's gonna win. Harbaugh, you're just a number two, and let me show it and tell you why.
1: Dude, Harbaugh is AD Skinner. I never thought about this before.
2: Get ready for this. I, I have a deep dive. 1985, Harbaugh quarterbacks Michigan. They finished the season ranked number two. 1995, AFC Championship game. Harbaugh throws the Hail Mary against the Pittsburgh Steelers at Three Rivers. The ball appears to be caught, but hits the ground. Indy finishes second, and the Steelers go to the Super Bowl. Stanford coach, 2009, stud running back Toby Gerhardt makes the Heisman Finals, but finishes second. 2010, Andrew Luck, stud quarterback, makes the Heisman, but finishes Second, 2011 San Francisco 49ers make it the NFC title game. Richard Sherman deflects the pass and it's intercepted, and the Niners finish second in the NFC. 2012 Super Bowl, Niners get, re- get go ahead at halftime, but a blackout happens and they lose to the Ravens, and the Niners finish second. 2013. Niners lost the NFC title game again. They finished second in the NFC. 2021, they make the playoffs and lose to Georgia in the second to last game of the year. And last year, they lose to TCU in the playoff in the second to last game of the year. So some people in life are destined to be number twos, and Jim Harbaugh is just a number two. And Kalen DeBoer? Can I say something? He's a number one. Yes, go right ahead.
1: Of all-time Michigan coaches where would you rank Jim Harbaugh in the the status of all-time Michigan quarterbacks? Where would you put J.J. McCarthy?
2: Three behind Harbaugh and Brady. Oh, yeah,
1: Harbaugh, okay.
2: There you go. So, therefore, this game is going to be, Washington's going to be up 34-28 late after what looks like Washington is going to... Try to hold on, and Michigan's going to make a couple passes and get to midfield with three seconds left, and they're going to have to throw a Hail Mary, just like they did against the Steelers in 95. And the ball's going to go up in the air and come down in the end zone, and it's going to look like it got caught, but then it's going to hit the ground, and Washington's going to win the national title game, and Harbaugh's going to put his head down, take second place, resign two weeks. And be the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers by the end of the month. So go Huskies.
1: I think you were getting at this, and maybe you didn't say it outright, but Kalen DeBoer is a is a lifetime number one, wins everywhere he, he goes.
2: He's a multiple national title winner, and he knows he won, how to what, win in three these spots. three
0: of four at Sioux City. Correct. Jim is also brother number two.
2: also true A.D. Skinner theory it's it's meant to come full circle they have the
1: same personality too it's great
2: (laughs) very good
1: (laughs) damn it Mulder we run the ball
0: here's here's another interesting kind of theory on this too on this whole Michigan you brought it up Dan and I'm glad you reminded me because I had this point I wanted to bring up the whole Connor Stallions thing So we know from all the extensive reporting that he wasn't just going to Big Ten games. He was going to Georgia. He was going to Alabama. He was going to Clemson. So he was watching the other teams he thought they might see in the playoff later that year. I can promise you he did not go to Washington. Michigan never respected Washington enough to go out and actually try to cheat and steal their signs because they never thought Washington would be part of the playoff and part of the, you know, their competition. They were only looking at Alabama, Georgia, Florida state, Clemson, the East teams, the South teams. So that's another kind of slight weird advantage here is that Michigan actually, you know, they were scouting Alabama for two years. You knew that they, it was part of the deal. So like there's no way they were going out all the way out to Washington to watch those games. So, you know, just a little tidbit there that this is the, uh, the first time in two years that Michigan's playing an opponent that they don't, you know, that they haven't cheated.
1: Let uh, me say, let me say along those same lines, this is something that's very interesting to me about this game. I don't know that one team necessarily has the edge, but it's something I want to study. You guys know that I'm very interested in these, um, The nobody believed in us phenomenon when, uh, you know, Bryce Young is the number one recruit and then the number one draft pick. And he, you know, gets drafted and it's like, nobody believed in me. And Kirby smart wins a second straight national championship when they were ranked in the top three all year. And he's like, nobody thought we had a chance. And, um, I always laugh at this, but I'm fascinated by the, uh, I guess the mental phenomenon of, uh, like the motivation that this provides. You guys know that my New Year's resolution for 2024 is to become a nobody-believed-in-me guy, which I'm working on now in my first week at it. We'll see how it goes throughout the year. But uh, I do plan to take slights personally, even minor inconveniences I will take as a personal attack in 2024, see if this motivates me to new levels in my career. But I bring this up because we have a really interesting dynamic in this game. We have Michigan... The nobody believed in us team that is completely manufactured their um, adversity, like just completely manufactured to the extent I would say it's like Michael Jordan levels of um, just making shit up out of thin air, and then you have Washington, a team that definitely has been playing the nobody believed in us card, but who is one of the rare teams at this level who you could argue actually have earned it and actually didn't have people believe in them. And even up till last week when they won, they beat Oregon. They were still an underdog to Texas going into Oregon after beating them the first time they were a nine and a half point dog. Um, They're a team that really has not been believed in despite their repeated success. So I'm interested to see if there is a difference between genuine um, disrespect and manufactured disrespect, or if it's all the same, you know what I mean? Is, is disrespect in the eye of the beholder or is actually being disrespected meaningful? So this is one thing I, as a a studier of, uh, crazy, uh, disgruntled athletes will be paying close attention to.
2: Very good, Tom.
1: Any last thoughts on this game? I mean, I'm glad that we have some slight disagreements. Um, we're all rooting for Washington. It sounds like two of us, uh, Dan, you and I both have the score going over. Actually, you may have yeah. it right on at 56.
2: Uh, yeah, I have it. No, uh, I'm at 66.
1: Oh, 66. Okay, so I'm, I'm over. You're over. Ryan, your total 62. is... Thirty-one seventeen, 17, you said. So you'd be uh, under? Yeah.
2: 31, 20. No, I'm gonna go under.
0: 31, so 31, 17. So either way you're under it. though. Under. So we got, two, we
1: got two overs and an under any other bets or, over. or props. You know, I haven't looked at the full prop list. Um, yeah, but for me, you know, I would, um, I would look at, you know, Corum or Edwards rushing yards. As I said, I think that they're going no, to be the opposite. You think Dylan Johnson?
2: No, think I think McCarthy under... passing yards over. I think this is a game where Washington scores points and Michigan hits the panic button and they throw it more than they need to. And his his passing yard prop is only 187 and a half.
1: Oh, wow. So I
2: think, yeah. And like, if you look at the game last year against TCU, he threw for 345. So I think McCarthy throws for like 230 in this game. And if he throws for more than 200, I think Washington wins the game too. So I'm rooting for that. Yeah. This is Um, what makes this whole
1: game so, so difficult for me at least to pick is because it could jump, it could go either way. And if it goes in the style of Washington and they jump out to the early lead and Michigan's playing from behind, it's a totally, totally different ball game than if Michigan gets up 10 to three, 14 to seven, and Michigan is controlling the pace of the game all the props I would want to bet change all of, you know, the total, like everything changes. So, you know, I'm, I'm playing what I think is the most likely scenario, but when I say most likely to me, it's like 60, 40, 55, 45. So I'm, I'm very careful on prop bets. I do think McCarthy at what 187 and a half, I think I would go over even in the style I suggest. I I mean, I think he can, I I think he gets to 200.
2: This game reminds me a lot of Alabama-Clemson, not Trev Lawrence, the Deshaun Watson one, where, like, you have to be sure as an underdog that your offense can score points. And, like, that game, I just knew that Watson and Clemson were going to score on Alabama. And I, I just was like, this offense is too good. I don't care. All you heard leading up to that game was how unbelievable that Alabama defense was, right? Remember that? Yeah, of And course. I was like, it doesn't matter. They, they're too good on offense. The way college football is played now, they will score points. And they did. And they, they scored 34 and beat them. And I think Washington's scoring 34 exactly as well and beating Michigan. So I like Washington team total over. Uh, their team total would be, let's see, four and a half, 51. Their team total is 25 and a half.
1: So... Um- Interesting tidbit, as I look back through the, this is obviously the last, you know, four-team playoff, as I look back through, you know, what has happened in the last nine years. So six of the nine years, it's been a blowout, like very one-sided, more than uh team won by more than two touchdowns. Very one-sided. So you, the first one, Ohio State whipped Oregon. And then you actually had three in a row that were really close. And that was Alabama- barely beating Clemson the first time. I think that was like the Jake Coker year maybe or Sims or one of those guys, one of those forgettable Alabama teams. Then you had the Deshaun Watson one that came down to the very end. And then you had the um, Alabama over Georgia, the Tua overtime game. And since then the last uh, five years have all been lopsided. So we haven't had a close championship game in since, you know, what, 2017, or I guess it would technically be 2018. So one thing I, I really feel strongly like we're going to get a close one, one way or another in this. I know Ryan, you have it as a more of the like two touchdown win, but I don't know. Something tells me in my gut strongly that, you know, whoever wins, my score is 34, 30, And if I go the opposite way and I pick Washington to win, I think my score would still be 34-30. Just feels like it's going to be a good game to end the the four-team playoff. And then as we go into next year and what basically is like a very, very new era of college football, the way things have been going with the first two games being so competitive, I'm not, you know, Dan, you talk about the karma. I'm not. A believer that karma always comes true in sports, despite when that we want it to. But I do think we're going to get a good game to end this era of college
2: football for sure. It's going to be a really great game. It's going to be, it's this is the Washington Huskies thrill ride. I told, I mean, mm-hmm. Ryan, we're talking about on Monday. Everything was going too smooth for Washington for the last two minutes, and Penix threw the ball away on third down with two and a half minutes to go. And we looked at each other, we're like, I'm sure that's not going to cost them those 45 seconds, and then Dylan Johnson gets hurt, and I'm like, every Washington game is like this. So um, I'm going to bet McCarthy over passing yards, Washington team to- to- team total over, and Washington to win by one to seven points at four to one. By the way,
1: all right, let's uh, let's reflect on go. that. I, I've got so many things I could say, but let me say with those last few minutes. A lot of people hate certain announcers. I know that Tony Romo gets a lot of shit. Obviously, Joe Buck is the one who everybody seems to hate. I've always been fairly neutral, like compared to most sports fans. I barely notice who's an, who's announcing a game. I mean, I can always tell Herb Street and Fowler, obviously, you know when Gus Johnson is announcing. But especially for college, like nobody else ever really registers to me. It's kind of like white noise, maybe because I got two kids running around the house or... You know, I'm always trying to flip back and forth between like four different games most weekends. I'm just not a big noticer of announcers. Uh, McElroy and whoever else did the game, I noticed. And I noticed Ah. they were fucking horrible. And especially at that last, the last couple minutes, they kept, I was like yelling at the TV at, you know, 1230 AM while the rest of my family was asleep. This is not good, but um, they're like, You know, if it were me, I would just take a knee here. And I'm looking at, I'm like, there's a minute 20 left. Texas has two timeouts. Taking a knee doesn't work. Like taking a knee gets Texas the ball back with enough time to throw, you know, four or five plays. Now it ended up happening anyway because of the Dylan Johnson injury, which, you know, you couldn't be foreseen. But when they were saying, oh, Just, you know, knee it and take a field goal on that second to last drive. It's like, no, try to score. This is what Washington's been doing and succeeding with all year. Try to score. Be aggressive. And then urging to take a knee at the end. Like, no, this is, first off, it doesn't work in terms of the time, but you should know the team you're announcing. Michigan, you could play conservatively. Washington has won all year by not being conservative. And frankly, if they played that style of Michigan, they wouldn't be in this game. So... I don't know that was one thing that really annoyed me about the announcing, and again, I barely notice announcers so whoever's announcing this championship game understand the Washington team and what they are and what they've been all season, and they're not gonna play it conservative even in the most critical moments.
2: It should be herb Street, so everything will be fine
1: good he d I mean again, some people don't like him, but I think he's. I think him and Fowler are like the best oh, yeah. around
2: same here. And they will, they will root for Washington in this game for sure, which is great. Like they like the pac 12 Street can't help himself as an Ohio state game. He's going to be like, yeah, I mean, uh, go. Yes. Nice play by Washington. Yes.
1: One thing well that's done. funny. So, you know, obviously you guys know for anyone listening, who's never listened before. I'm the, I'm the big 10 guy. I'm a Penn state fan, but I watch all the big 10. I follow the big 10. I watch the big 10 network. Uh, you know, I got my dad, like whatever Duluth trading pants from big 10 commercials and shit. Like I'm all in on the big 10 and
2: <laughs> Duluth, I, pants.
1: Duluth pants and like alien duct tape and all that shit that they sell in the big 10 channel during Indiana, Illinois. I got it all. Um, It's so funny to me how, um, obviously Washington's going to the big 10 next year, the whole season, you would not see Washington, Oregon, UCLA, and et cetera, on the big 10 network. I know they joined kind of mid season and they made that announcement. Like you never heard, you never heard Nicole Auerbach talking about Washington Huskies, you know, but they'd spend 15 minutes breaking down Indiana's defense The second it's Michigan Washington in this championship game, the big 10 networks like two big 10 teams can't knock it. Best conference in America. Gotta love the big 10. We win either way. So I'm, I'm all in now. Now that the calendars flipped to 2024 as a big 10 guy can't lose in this game. The big Ten's bringing home the last national championship. Washington is no longer a PAC 12 member in my mind
2: yes we are we got 5 more days and we're going to ship it for the pac 12
1: oh, it expired you're like uh, cinderella or not cinderella yeah cinderella and um, we still got it march expired. madness
0: no it, you're
1: you're uh, you turned into a pumpkin midnight of january 1st you're a big 10 member what now pac 12 is pac 12 is know. done dj wu dj's going back to the east coast you guys Look. are done
2: you say that you don't like new metal, but you're wearing a shirt that has the word neutral on it with the two Motley Crew <laughs> new right there on your shirt. So
1: do you know, do you guys know what neutral is?
2: No, I hope it's a new metal, uh, serious channel.
1: It is a, uh, it should be, it's a, uh, it's a, a hard seltzer made by, uh, the Budweiser corporation, so, hard
2: seltzer made by Jonathan Davis.
1: It's the most new metal of all the hard seltzers. Mm.
2: Kid Rock's an investor.
1: Kid Rock. No, the reason their Budweiser is pumping up neutral now is to make is to diversify their portfolio. Thanks to the assholery of Kid Rock.
2: Mm. Okay, then. Glad we cleared that up. Um. I think that we talked ra- about new metal in the X-Files. We we, we, were we did it all. You guys, in. you
1: guys want to talk about Harvey danger good. and, and complete the trifecta of bullshit. We like to talk about.
2: Oh yeah. I want to talk about Harvey danger.
1: Hey, Harvey danger, Seattle band.
2: Oh, okay. Another reason, another reason, by why. the way, t-
1: uh, this is, this is, one of the greatest musical matchups of any college football championship game. You've got uh, Seattle with all those great bands. And then you've got the great state of Michigan, which punches way above its weight in the music department. Kid rock. Well, kid rock, obviously number one, but then you've also (laughs) got, you know, below way, way, way below him. You've got, you know, white stripes, Bob Seger, Eminem, Nuge, the Nuge, also number one B with Nuge number one B with uh kid rock. And then Wait, all the Motown and- stuff is way, way, way below
0: that. Yeah. Well then you got like the actual best band from Michigan. Isn't MC five. Aren't the MC five from Detroit?
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Michigan
1: and great.
2: I can only comment on kid rock. That's the only one I know for sure. I,
1: I would say Michigan, Washington state and the great state of New Jersey are the three that punch above their weight the most in terms of musical contributions to America. Minnesota is also up there. You know, New York city, obviously California is going to produce a ton of great musicians, but Michigan has done way more than their like population would uh, make you think. Also, oh, good like point. Ma- Minnesota. Madonna,
0: Minnesota, Minnesota might actually be better than Michigan.
1: I think it depends on your personal taste, but yeah, Minnesota, Michigan, Washington, and New Jersey would be like my four, you know, population versus like how many awesome or not even, you don't even have to say awesome. Like how many important or, you know, popular musicians they've produced. So it's grunge versus Motown. Okay. Um, before we wrap up, just a couple minutes, Ryan, you want to say anything about the portal or coaching? Um, to me, the one that stood out just happened today, actually. Malachi Nelson, former number one overall quarterback recruit who uh, left USC, looks like he's going to Boise, which would I think would be incredible. And it shows how much yeah. the NILs changed things. Like a guy of that caliber, I don't think would have considered Boise, but now he can get all these deals from like, you know, Idaho potatoes and, you know, Kia of Boise and whatever. And like, he can make just as much money and be just as prominent.
0: And he's going to have one of the top five running backs in college football with next to him next year. Cause Gentry's ridiculous. So, um, that's interesting. And then um, on the other then, hand,
1: you know, Ole Miss losing a couple of guys, we didn't expect them to lose. We, who knows who's coming in. I mean, it's too early to really break down like, winners and losers of the portal, but you know, what, what are you going to
0: be a winner regardless of who they bring in at running back? Because that they brought in on defense is just outrageous. Like they they've signed some absolute studs um, defensively. So looking for Ole Miss to, uh, to absolutely improve the defense, but yeah, you're right. They're losing Quinshon Junkins is, is, really crazy. And then they also lost jam Morris, the backup running back too. I who had a great game against Penn state. So, um, you know, I'm assuming it's lane Kiffin. He'll bring somebody and like he, he always does. He, he took care of the defense first, first round of portal. And now this round he'll, he'll fill some gaps on the, uh, on the offensive side. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Um,
1: I think there could be a shift. I mean, some coaches will be good pre NIL and post NIL, but there could be kind of a transfer of power for like what coaches recruiting style works better. Lane seems to be like a winner of the NIL era. You know, they were a nine and four, like okay team. And he seems to be crushing it now in the NIL era. Who knows if they can be like a playoff team and really compete for an SEC championship, but he seems to be one who's adapted well to this new era of recruiting.
0: Oh yeah. Well, how about Will Howard to Ohio state?
1: That's a big one. Um uh, mentioning yeah. Penn, Penn state, Julian Fleming of Ohio state, third receiver yeah, at Ohio state. Up. But like he could be a number one at almost any school. We're going to find out if Drew Aller is actually any good next year. Cause there's no more excuses.
2: I, yeah. Three star Aller. Three star Aller. That's
1: uh, his new name. I Listen, I, I'm torn on that one, but we're, my point is we're going to find out. Cause there's no more excuses, no more blaming a bad receiving core.
2: Oh, we already found out, Tom. Here's my hot take for next year is Drew Allard transfers to UConn. If McCord, oh my God, McCord went to Syracuse, Allard's going to UConn. That's my prediction. I are get the Ohio State and Penn State quarterbacks to Syracuse and UConn. Well, Here's considering
1: considering Taquan Robertson transferred from Penn State to UConn after the worst performance I've ever seen in all football, uh, in that Penn state, Iowa game. Like he couldn't, you talk about, um, <laughs> I'm now I'm thinking about the Alabama s- center snapping to, to Quan Robertson and just n- every ball hits the ground. Um, but he played the worst game I've ever seen in a, from a Penn state quarterback transferred to UConn and won the starting job there. So Aller would be the greatest player in Huskies history.
2: Looking forward to it.
1: Meanwhile, Penn State has the um, you know, one of the best tight end recruits in the country from the state of Connecticut going there next year. So maybe it'll be a little exchange program. You give us your good high school tight end, you get Drew Aller. Love it. And Penn State has an incoming quarterback who's highly touted named Ethan Grunkmeyer, which is the name I of like a guy that. we need starting soon because I want announcers to be screaming, Grunkmeyer!
2: Three star Aller will be on the bench by Halloween.
1: It might be. Not since Jim Drunkenmiller. Is there a guy whose name demanded he become the starter? Um, All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this season. And um, I'm just so excited for this game. I don't think I've been this amped up for a championship game in a while. Um, You know, obviously the SEC is great, but I get a little bored of seeing those same teams in the championship every year. It's kind of nice to have two non SEC like different teams. So I'm excited about it. I hope in my heart that the Huskies can pull this out and make what would be like maybe the most magical season in that I can remember in college football history. Like I'm trying to think of corollaries of a team that was this like, uh, underappreciated and also this cool and who actually could like pull it off and win it all. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Um, there've been other teams, this cool Auburn, Cam. Yeah, that that might be the best corollary. You know, some of those Oregon teams that got really close in like, you know, 2012 or whenever. Uh the Boise State team obviously would just pass the 17-year anniversary of that game. I mean, that was a cool team and a a team that overachieved, but it wasn't for the championship. So this could be one of the greatest moments in college football history if they can pull it out. So, I'm excited we will be back with one more episode, I think probably end of next week. Uh, we say that every year, and we never actually do it, but I'm actually promising it this year because we have very important uh, reflections and some very important awards to give out, which cannot be overlooked. So, uh, new we'll be back. New episode uh, roughly a week from today. Enjoy the game. Thank you for listening. <laughs> We're recording. Dan, one Back. last message.
2: Huskies don't lose national title games. Basketball Huskies, our cousins out in the Pacific Northwest, we don't lose title games.
1: Dan, Jonathan or Dubs? Who's the better Husky?
2: It's still Jonathan. As much as I like Dubs, I saw him wear the purple shades in New Orleans because he was hungover uh, in midfield after the game. But Jonathan... Is still the OG mascot forever. Uh but seriously, Huskies don't lose titles. Sometimes you win on the field, sometimes you win the game of life, sometimes you win the civil conflict. But we don't lose title games.
1: Yukon's won Yukon football's won two of those three things.
2: That's right. Don't worry about you. UConn Yukon football's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh oh, yeah. they've, they've won
1: go, they've won the game of life.
2: Go Huskies.